Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 397. Always share your best move. And, you know, you run the risk of someone taking credit for it, and that's true, and it happens. But they always get outed out. If somebody is stealing somebody else's idea, when the day comes that they've got to come up with an original thought, then they're exposed immediately. It's always, it always comes, the house of cards always comes crashing down around them. So never be afraid to share your best move. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Increase return visits by 200% with 5 Stars. 5 Stars helps you build a database of your customers' spend and visit behaviors. 5 Stars also helps you stay continually connected by automatically sending personalized offers and rewards. To learn more, head over to get.5stars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you set up a demo, 5 Stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. What are you waiting for? Get on it. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Heather and Michael Harrell. Guys, are you feeling unstoppable today? We are. We're great. Beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. So Heather and Michael got their start working in Outbacks and uh, or Michael got to start working in the Outback. And then Heather eventually met up with Michael working at Carabas Grill opening. I believe it was in the, the Caribbean, correct? Um, actually, we we met through Outback. I was with him oh. as well. But he started way, way before my time in Florida. <laughs> so. And- as Caraba Grill started expanding and cutting corners, Michael and Heather kind of lost interest and decided to do their own thing in 2014. And they opened 11th and Bay located in Columbus, Georgia. And uh, they've been crushing it ever since. So I can't wait to find out how you guys got to where you are today and to really dive into the, the details of your story. But before we do that, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Well, one of the things that we uh, we decided we were going to do was uh, our, our one of our, our mottos is pull up a chair and stay a while. Uh, the whole idea was to uh, bring back true Southern hospitality. And the one thing that I really didn't enjoy with the uh, with the other restaurants were the uh, time constraints. You know, we were we were to move people in and out as quickly as we could. And we just didn't want to have that that feeling here at all. We wanted people to stay as long as they wanted. Awesome. I love it. Do you have anything to add to that, Heather? Um, well, just, I mean, just to kind of expand on what he said, you know, and bringing hospitality, you know, back to the hospitality industry. But I mean, just our, you, you know, you walked into our space and saw, we just want to be a very warm, inviting and welcoming atmosphere um, where people can walk in in shorts or a suit. And it's just very casual 
you know, have fun with friends, hang out with family. I mean, you know, we just wanted it to be very inviting and very warm. Well, I had the pleasure of meeting both of you in person uh, last week when I was visiting visiting my cousin in Columbus, and I definitely got that vibe. Uh, you folks are absolutely the kind of people I want to have in the show, just like homegrown, real people who are doing it for the right reasons. So I can't wait to dive in. But I guess where did it all start uh, for, I, I mean, well, I, from what I know, uh, Michael, I know your story, Michael, you... Were working for your dad, right? And you decided to get out of uh, the, the family business and do your own thing. So let's start there. Yeah, um, you know, back in the uh, early and late eight, mid mid and early eighties, I was uh, going to high school, and also, when um, once I got out of high school, I got into college, and and my dad had started a construction business for the family, and you know, and just like any any anything. For me, it was, you know, it was just difficult working with family. Mm-hmm. And um, so at some point I decided to, to leave. And when I did, I remember the day I left, uh, I was literally driving uh, down the road and said, well, golly, I've got to get a job. And I turned in, into an Italian restaurant uh, that said for hiring. And I got my first restaurant job as a host. Okay. And it started right there. Awesome. And uh, what about you, Heather? Well, <laughs> I kind of fell into the restaurant industry in the sense that um, my first passion and love, I wanted to get into interior design. Um, but like with most people who take on a restaurant job, you know, it's to obviously earn wages, make, you know, to be able to pay for bills and yep. go to college during the day, work at night. Um, but, it, you know, it kind of sucked me in and I fell in love with it. Well, I think one of the cool things about the restaurant industry is it encompasses so many skills. So, I mean, you you do get to kind of flex that interior design, uh, I guess, bug, don't you? Well, I do, and and I'll <laughs> say, you know, kind of, kind of, my love for food really did start at an early age when I was ten, um, and it kind of, you know, to not so great circumstances. My parents divorced when I was 10. So I kind of being the oldest kind of instinctively took on that, you know, mothering role, helping out cooking and, you know, kind of cathartic as well. I kind of threw myself into um, just reading recipe books, watching shows about cooking. I mean, I just really loved it. So it was always kind of a passion that, you know, I guess kind of got tucked away for a long time, but um, fast forward to now, I kind of, you know, both those worlds collided for me and I've gotten to do both the food side and, in the interior design side. So, Michael, I've got to ask, is, do you think there's any irony that you're working with family again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, uh, you know, uh, just even or even in the early days when Heather and I did work together and she, I was actually her manager, um, you know, I always had a lot of respect for her work ethic. And, and then when we finally did, uh, you know, when I was courting her, we were living in Nassau. I, was, I opened the Outback in Nassau and, and um, and it was a really unique situation. The night before our wedding, we had this beautiful wedding planned on the beach. And uh, the night before our wedding, we got robbed at gunpoint at the restaurant in Nassau. Okay. Weapons fired. No, nobody was injured. But um, my whole management team threw, the, threw their keys at me that night and walked out on me. So my wife and I proceeded to run that restaurant by ourselves. You know, And that store was doing between eighty dollars and $100,000 a week. And we were open to close, she and I, for the next 64 days straight before we got any relief from even the corporate office wow. up in, uh, up in days. How many days straight? 64. Wow. That's, 
man, that is dedication right there. So I'm curious, uh, when, when did you both know that this was going to be your career? Uh, at what point were you, I think, because, well, let me first find out when did you guys intersect? It was in Nassau, correct? Or no. No, it was in Macon. Yeah. Yeah. It was in in 93 is when I, I opened the Outback in Macon, Georgia. Right. And I'm from Macon and I was working there. Um, and just for the record, we never, we kept, you know, the boundary lines. We were never, we were just friends and, <laughs> you know, we had a working relationship. Um, but he had left for a couple of years and went to Aruba um, to work the, the outback there and then came back to the States just prior to going to Nassau. We kind of ran back into each other and, and um, you know, just struck up a conversation, went to dinner and kind of fast forward <laughs> several months and we ended up in Nassau together. We were just going to date and I was going to travel back and forth and, um, and things just kind of, you know, took over. <laughs> yeah. We just, we knew, we knew we were going to yeah. be together. So awesome. we kind of, we kind of rushed everything. Awesome. So I um, moved down, moved down nine months later, we were married and here we are 18 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, Michael, because I guess the timeline kind of starts with you, uh, be, and because you kind of pulled Heather into the industry in a sense. So when did you know you were uh, going to commit to the hospitality industry for life? Like when did you know it was your, well, it was, it was actually in the early nineties. I was going to college. uh, You know, my dad had the construction business and I was kind of doing both. I was working restaurants and still doing construction. And I was a construction engineer major in, in college. That was what I wanted to do. And I actually enjoyed that. I still love it. Um, but I was a horrible student. I mean, I was really a bad, bad student. I was just, uh, you know, I guess in today's world, I probably would have been diagnosed with something I'm sure, but I, I just, my attention span was about as, as much of a gnat. And, um, well, how much of I an interest did you have in construction engineering though? I, I loved it. Though. <laughs> oh, I did mean, you? Okay. But, but all the other, all the other classes that I had to, if, you know, if they just given me all the things that were, but you know, all the other classes that I had to take on top of, you know, just getting to a point where I could concentrate on my degree was difficult for me. I just yeah. didn't have any interest in doing it. I was one of those guys that, you know, uh, you know, I, I daydreamed and, you know, and, and if, it, if it, if it, if it piqued my interest, I was really into it. And unfortunately it, it didn't. So I remember I was with, you know, I started with Outback and my mentor at the time, uh, he, you know, he knew me and knew me well and said, you know, I know you're not a, you know, big fan of college and, I'm not advocating you not finishing college, but you know, this company is growing and you're, you're, you're great at this. Mm. Do you enjoy it? And I said, I love it. I said, but I got to finish college, you know, otherwise, you know, my dad would freak out. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, through my mentor assuring me that I could easily earn a, a, a you know, a, a, a living at it. Um, I, I jumped in it you know, both feet and never look back, uh, you know, never finished college. It's one of the few things I never did accomplish, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sorry for it in any way, shape or form. You're doing great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, and I, and I love what, love what we do. So and it wasn't until, and, and Heather jumped in and out until we did this. When okay. we finally did this deal. Um, well, I can, I'll, I'll say, and I was, I kind of realized where you're going with this, but I, what happened was being in Macon, um, literally when we met back up, I was already packed up, actually headed back to Atlanta because I wanted to pursue my first, you know, I love, which was interior design, but, you know, kind of fate and love took over and I put everything on hold, <laughs> ended up moving to Nassau and, you know, with Michael and his job, 
you know, I stayed with him there. And then we moved back to the States and um, just naturally just jumped right back into restaurant just to help get us back on our feet and, mm-hmm. you know, get back acclimated back in the States and trying to figure out which direction for us to go. And um, he ended up, I ended up with Carabas first before he did. I was still with Outback. Yeah. Okay. He took a year, yeah, a year off in the company, worked for someone else. Um, in restaurant, and then <clears throat> um, waited for an opening with Carabas, and got it, got in with Carabas, and um, that's what essentially brought us to Columbus. Was he was um, offered a position, you know, for the for the uh, proprietorship of the Carabas here in Columbus. So at that point, we kind of started a family almost as soon as we got here. As soon as we got here, and so I took, I kind of stepped out away from it for like ten years. Until, you know, we ventured into this. Okay. So you committed to this career basically uh, when the, the two of you together decided that you wanted to open your own place. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. And Heather, I, I realize that we're 15 minutes into our, our time. Um, you said you had to get going. Well, we're good. I think we're good. I'm, I'm just waiting for a lady to show up. But as soon as she shows up, I'll... <laughs> I'll exit. Okay. Uh, well, you're welcome to come back and join us if we're still on the phone if, after she sure. leaves. Uh, okay. So I'm curious. Um, you said something that kind of stood, a couple things that, that stood out to me, uh, Michael, and that was that you it, in this work, like you excelled. So you weren't great at school, but in the hospitality industry, you excelled. What do you think it is about the hospitality industry? Uh, that allowed you to excel because I, I feel like a lot of people and myself included are drawn like I, I didn't do great in school either I had to bust my ass to do well in school uh, but for some reason in the hospitality industry like I just love it I, and I, I don't know exactly what it is what do you think it is about this industry that lets people like well us excel? for me for me was you know it, it was just kind of like even the construction every day was different it doesn't matter you know there are some there are some things that you've got to make sure you do every day, obviously from an operational standpoint that are, that can be a little monotonous at times and so on and so forth. But as soon as the doors open, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole new deal. I mean, every customer that walks in, even if they're regulars, whether they're having a good day or a bad day or a loss in the family or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's every day is different. Um, and, and that was the thing that really drew me to it. And I have this natural ability of, you know, and it's, it's not a fake thing, but I, I'm generally, I'm genuinely, inter- genuinely interested in anything that what's going on with anybody else. So it's, I'll, I, if I ask you what's going on, I'm not just asking you, I'm asking because I genuinely want to care. I, I really want to know. So for me, it was, there was no way I was going to be able to sit behind a desk and, and do anything like that. It was the, uh, the variety. And not only that, but think about, think about us in the industry, you know, what other line of work you know that you're your own accountant, your own marketer? I mean, name the different hats you wear every single day just to make sure that the doors get open. Oh, man. I mean, your I interior designer, <laughs> you name it. I mean, you're, you know, there is, so there, it's the variety is what really drew me to it. It's being waking up every day, not knowing, you know, you know, what, what you're, you're faced with that day, whether it's good sales, it's, you know, rain, if it's a game and how do you, how do you, I mean, it's just, that's what I love about it. It's mm. just a variety of everything's different every single day. Oh yeah. You don't get bored. That's for sure. And, uh, well, that's be, absolutely. <laughs> and he gets bored very easily. <laughs> what was that Heather? I'm sorry. I think I spoke over you. And he does get bored very easily. It's a, oh yeah. He, he, has, he has a natural ability and very, um, charming and he's just very much a people person. Oh yeah, I love it. So Heather, uh, 
before we lose you uh, to your meeting, uh, what I mean, one thing I've learned is that to be successful in this industry, I think I think partnerships, uh, unless you're a freak of nature and you're good at everything, I think partnerships are essential. So what? What is it that you bring to the table? Like, how did you find your your lane in the back of the house? I mean, obviously, your passion for cooking, growing up with your your family, and just being right. in love with cooking early on. But how did you find yourself in that lane? Uh, was it was it a plan? Did it happen organically? Um, yeah, it, it happened. It, it organically. really kind of happened organically. I mean, you know, going into this, um, I did create a menu, um, but I did tell my husband, I said, "Look, I really want to bring someone on that can give me an honest." assessment of what I put together, not ever have written a restaurant menu. Um, you know, so we did bring someone on and, um, you know, didn't change a whole lot, but, um, obviously had their own ideas as well. And so, um, just brought them on to consult in the beginning, um, for the first few months with the menu and then ended up bringing this person on permanently. Well, after about a year or so, it just did not work out the way we envisioned, um, so at that point, we just decided, you know, just go back to, I'm the one that just took it back over. I mean, and, you know, no one really is, you, you know, you can sell your vision, talk to people all day and they're, they're you know, they, they're on, you can draw them in and they're on board. But, you know, when it comes down to it, no one really fully knows exactly what you want and can put those things in place other than yourself. Mm. And so just, you know gone back to doing the food and it, and it's, it's been a little bit of, um, how do I say this? It's been a little, um, it's been a challenge. It, it's been, yeah. A challenge, and the only challenge, challenge is a good one. And the course, challenge yeah. is how do you, the challenge has really been how do, how does a, a married couple that works the hours that we work with two, balance children. With, with, <laughs> with two young children in, in grade school and, and middle school, how do we balance all that and make it yeah. work and still, you know, raise our children and the values that we grew up in and, and provide the things that, you know, the minimum, you know, you want to do is, is be able to provide what you, you were provided by your parents. So that, that's been the challenge is yeah. making the time available for her to create, to have that creative, uh, you know, creative time. So and and we're still working through it yeah, to this day. Even we're still, year, we're still, still struggling to, to find just enough time for her to really blossom and do, do all the things she really wants to do. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's just a very, it's a very different world, you know, being on, on this side and something we even realized, you know, go after being open three years now, um, you know, you, you kind of uh, learn to appreciate that whole, back office in a sense with the corporate world of how much how many people are in place that take care of all these little things that you know you never had to do on a store level right you know so now it's kind of all, it's all encompassing for us saying it's definitely a juggling act you know so. yeah oh absolutely so before we lose you heather uh i, I kind of want to get uh your opinions because uh like the you know, to make it to have a partner, you want to find a partner that's strong where you're weak, and vice versa. You know, you want to you want to be the full package. So, what roles do you guys think you play? What do you each bring to the table? And I think this is something that we should really cover before we lose Heather, because it would be cool to get both of your perspectives. Well, it is very interesting because we absolutely are a a good good balance. Um, I'm very slow to process. 
very much. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a thinker. I have to think things out. My husband is, is different in the respect of, you know, he, he just, he sees something and he just goes and he does. And, and, uh, I mean, it's a good balance because, you know, sometimes I'm pulling the reins in going, Hey, wait, we need to pause. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if he did, if he doesn't say go, I'd still, you know, be lagging behind and <laughs> stuff might not get done when it needs to all the time. But, we're definitely a good, um, a good balance. And not not only that, but we, you know, you said something earlier about staying, you know, your lane, yep. you know, and that's a phrase we use, you know, yeah. you know, if I'm, if I'm meddling in her, in her kitchen, you know, she'll say to me, Hey, you know, you need to stay in your lane. <laughs> that's our, that's our code to each other. Yeah. You know, you're stepping over the boundaries. Yeah. And then if she's meddling in the front of the house and she's starting to change things that I have in place up there, then I'm, you know, I politely say, Hey, you know, I need you to stay in your lane. And that's, that's our, that's our signal to one another. And that's the strength. I mean, the reason we are successful the way we are is I do not touch the food. I'm not allowed to touch the food. I'm horrible at the food (laughs) and uh, she's not allowed to be up front. And, uh, in the sense that, you know, she has a great set of eyes to me and, you know, she sees things, but, but I, but I just don't step over that line and go and, and tell people or put stuff in place. You know, we absolutely do. I have a much different approach than she does. And so I'm able to, you know, I'm able to communicate it across and put things in place, uh, I think, in a, in a much better way. And that's why that's why this particular relationship works so well is because we do stay in, stay out of each other's lane. And, um, and we're respectful enough and we go to each other, too, you know. Um, and discuss things prior to anything being implemented. We don't just, you know, do it without consulting the other. Right. Right. Okay. So I, I want to dive into this a little bit more because um, typically I, I kind of follow like a, a chronological format, but I don't, I want to get as much of Heather as we can before we lose her. So what advice, I mean, there's a lot of uh, married couples out there that go into business together, that open a restaurant together. Uh, you're doing it well. I'm sure you've had your ups and downs. But what advice do you have aside from really like spelling out what lane each of you belong in? Uh, what advice do you have for the, that couple who's opening a restaurant together? Like what do, what do they need to know through the scene right now? You know, I know everybody says this, but you can't take it home. You just yeah. can't, you've got to really, you've got to leave it at the door. If there's, if there's something that that's, uh, that's aggravated the two of you, once you leave the building, then your priority now becomes family, you know, and, and God and, and all that other stuff. So, you have to really leave it at the door. If there was, if there was some type of a disagreement or some type something that was rough at the, at the job that you guys were, were having an issue with, uh, you have literally, literally have got to find a way and, uh, to, um, and you know, I'll give you another thing that we do. We make it a point that every two weeks we, yes. we, we go on a date night every, that, every that's two what weeks. I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, we, we are very, make it a point to, you know, you know, I, and I, and I know I'm probably, you know, going a little, being a little more detailed, but we even, we even schedule our, and I, Hey, you know, so anyways, you know, when we, when we spend uh, intimate time together, it's just, we, it's all, it's all scheduled in the sense that it's not that it's, you know, nice to be spontaneous every once in a while, but we definitely make time for each other all the time as often as we can, you know, outside of work, outside of work. How do you do that though? How do you, how do you make sure that happens? You know, honestly, uh, it, it's we, literally we, a schedule. Because we are closed on Sundays and I've told, 
I've already made it clear. It, we'll be divorced before we ever open on a Sunday. <laughs> well, we're, we are we are fortunate. Even yeah. if we were open on a Sunday, we would find a way. Yeah. You know, more than likely, if we were open on Sunday, it would have been Sunday brunch anyways, and we still have the Sunday nights available. But we we, but right we may now right now Sunday. we decided not to do that. So every two weeks. Uh, we make it a point to uh, go out on a date. We did. We just went out on one last night or the other night, Sunday night. And, um, you know, and then, and then during the week, um, we, we make time that we absolutely every day make time to go to lunch together as well. Yep. Um, you know, just to get away and just, just to even, even if it is about work, it, you know, we're together, we're on the same page. Um, you know, all the time. So out of, out of five lunches a week, we at least have four of them together. We make it a point to schedule lunches together. So, you know, we, you know, we drop the kids off, we come home, we have coffee. We, you know, we check emails, we decompress a little bit. We get our day organized, uh, you know, you know, give each other a kiss and we head out, you know, and then I go do errands, she does errands and we meet up. And then, you know, it's, it's a regiment that we do. It's a, it's a process. You know, that's something that we've worked on very hard this past year is, is processes, you know, certain things that have got to get done no matter what. And you can't let anything get in the way of, of preventing you from doing that. Like, you know, what day do you have the schedule out? You just never, it, it's certain things you've got to make sure that, that get, get done. And that includes date night. And that includes date night. <laughs> Over. I love it. And, and I think you, you mentioned it. You're coming back to it now. It's just that the power of that schedule of planning your time, segmenting your time, and really just setting time up apart for certain, the most important things, uh, making sure yeah. the yeah. most important things happen uh, and not settling. Right. And that's so important <laughs> that you mentioned that. Thank you for going there. And um, Heather, right. I'm afraid we're going to lose you soon. So I don't want to uh, start another conversation that requires the both of you. So I think we're going to bring it back to the chronological format where, sure. uh, Starting with, I guess, uh, where where do we where do we leave off? So you're in Nassau, uh, you're opening or working in a Carabas Grill, and I read an article, Michael, that said that you, it it started to change. So what was changing? How was how was it changing, and why didn't you like it? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing. I had a lot of pride in working with with Carabas, even out back in the early days. I mean, we were a scratch. When I say we were a scratch kitchen, it was a scratch kitchen. Okay. I mean, we made everything in house. Our croutons, we made it all. The only thing. I mean, I, with pride, I used to say, you know, back in the day, I think we had three, you know, three or four frozen items and our, our freezers were so small back in the day. Now, if you went to Carabas, you know, you, you, there isn't enough freezer spray, freezer, uh, freezer space, but you know, back in the day, there were only, you know, three things that were, that came in frozen. It was our shrimp, our, our bread, even though it was, uh, even though it was, uh, frozen, it was our recipe and it was made to our spec by company, which was phenomenal. And, you know, an ice cream. And that was it. We, you know, we didn't make our own ice cream. And, and then over the years, uh, you know, in 2008 is kind of when, the, you know, when the recession hit and, you know, and they passed Obamacare and, you know, everybody got spooked. And, uh, you know, and I think everybody just overreacted to what they thought was coming down the road only because that's what everybody thought was going to happen. And, and uh, you know, and just like anything, when a you know, economic hard times hit. What's the first thing in a, in a family's budget that, that gets cut entertainment mm-hmm. and, you know, going out to dinner is, is part of that entertainment bill. And so everybody was really hit hard and, uh, and Outback and Carabas, you no longer had the original founders and the, you know, Chris Sullivan, Bob Basham, Tim Gannon, they no longer had those folks in running, you know, running those companies. And so, you know, there were, there was, there were some old elements there, but a lot of new people had come in and, 
with uh, some very different ideas. And so the, the biggest change for me was one, we started getting pre-made product in um, and, and they did good for a while. I mean, even though some of the pre-made stuff came in, but it, it wasn't, you know, you didn't have the same level of pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, it's kind of like abandoning the philosophies, the things that, you yeah. know, that they originated with and were, you know, founded uh, upon. And it just seemed like they were abandoning a lot of those things and, and one of the that, biggest, we, that we so much love and, you know, about it. And one of the biggest things was uh, quality of life, quality of life of its employees. I mean, that was something they preached and preached and preached. And then all of a sudden that, that went away. I'm so and, happy uh, you're, you're going here right now uh, with the, the human aspect. Uh, you started with talking about the food on how the food started to change, how you really started to automate and systematize the, the processes uh, and standardize the processes with the food. But that human element, I think is the key part. Uh, you lost that pride, the values, the, the, uh, the quality of life. And just uh, why is that so important? Well, look, I mean, this industry is hard enough as it is. I mean, you, you know, those of us that are in it know that. And so when you don't, uh, when you certainly give the impression through your, through your scheduling or your, you know, I don't care what's going on in your family. I need you here mentality. Um, one, you, you lose, you lose loyalty, uh, and you lose, uh, you know, you lose that, that family, uh, feeling that you, you know, that we, we have certainly tried to, to develop here. And, um, and then the other thing is, you know, it just becomes a paycheck for some people because, you know, if they could find something better, they would. Um, and, uh, and that, that's really, you know, that's, I mean, in all honesty, if Carabas had never, if Carabas had never changed and they were still running it the way they were, and their bonus programs the way they were. And it was all about, I, I don't know if I would have ever left, to be honest with you. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have had the incentive, you know, of course I always wanted to do my own thing, but you know, I was getting to an age where I really had to make that decision. And it kind of all fell together at the right time. I was in my early, you know, early forties. And I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to mm-hmm. do it. And so we did it and yep. we jumped ship, but you know, that was, th- those were the two biggest things for me. It was, the, the abandonment of the quality of life of, of, the, of the employees. And, you know, I, I remember a conversation I had with one of my superiors and he was mentioning that my, my labor percentage was, was higher than some of the av- other stores in the area. And I, you know, I reminded him that I still had, you know, a significant number of the original employees that I had uh, from, when the, from the day we opened. We were 12 years into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember him specifically saying, you know, oh, so you have a lot of legacy costs. And I, I, it was code for, oh, so you're overpaying a lot of people. And I remember him saying specifically or asking me, you know, what are you going to do about that? And I said, you know, to be honest with you, what you're asking me to do is, is to kind of abandon the people that made me who I am. Mm. And I, I just don't think I'm capable of doing that. Mm, man. And uh, he said, you know, great answer. And I understand it. And I remember the last conversation I was about to I was a month away from putting my notice in. And I remember the last thing that was said to me was, Hey buddy, you know, we're, we're buds and we're pals. And, uh, yeah, I know you're, you know, you're not hitting your labor as you know, you know, you're half percent off, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, and all the answers you've given me are good ones and I'll be able to stiff arm the boys upstairs for a while, but I'm begging you as a friend, you know, when the day comes that I ask you for that percentage, I'm asking you to give it to me because if you don't, I'm going to have to put someone in here that will. 
Mm. And I and I knew right there that I'd made the right decision. A month later, I put my notice in, and here I was opening this restaurant. Mm. Heather, are you still with us? No, she stepped out. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just wanted to. I didn't want to. Uh, I guess leave her out of the conversation. Um, so, if you could just boil it down, distill it down to one overarching lesson that you got from that experience with Carabas, what would it be? Well, look, I've got nothing but love and respect for Carabas and Outback. They made me, they gave me the skills. I would, I would recommend anybody in their early careers to work corporate restaurants because there's one, there's one thing, one, one thing they do do is they do instill systems and processes, and, you know, checklists. And, you know, even though I know those things seem boring, but they were important for controlling costs. And so if, if anybody was, you know, to get in this industry, I'd say, look, go, go work for a very good corporate restaurant. And, you know, if you, and if you find a home there, great, but learn their systems, learn how they do inventory, learn how to fix, find the issues because they'll teach you all that. They'll tell you why, you know, if you're, if your liquor's high, you know, where, where do you find it in your usages? And, you know, are, is someone stealing? Or are we wasting it? Is, are, are we using jiggers? Just all that minutiae stuff detailed stuff you're going to learn through being at a corporate restaurant. And then the, the biggest transition for me was when I left corporate to the mom and pop, unfortunately, one of the mistakes I made was I continued to, to operate like I was in a corporate restaurant. So when you're in a mom and pop and you don't have 250 stores dumping money into a, a payroll account, every dollar matters. So you have to completely redo the way rethink the way you purchase and the way you, uh, way you operate. You still do all the things you learned from a corporate level as far as controls and systems and closing duty lists and opening duty lists and all that other stuff that you need to know, but you really have to change the way you, you purchase things and, and do things. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy you went there and, uh, and that was going to be the next question is, you know, we learned a lot about the, we lost the human. I think when, when restaurants, uh, grow, they start off, uh, any great restaurant that that's grown like Carabas or Outbacks or Chili's or whatever, they, they started off as a, a small restaurant that was just crushing it and they, they got opportunities and they grew. But over time, when you grow, there's a great book about this called small giants where, where companies chose not to grow anymore because they didn't want to lose their soul. Uh, and right. that's what happens in, in the restaurant industry. It, the soul is way too important because people don't do this work for the money. They do it because they love the work and, and the, the soul, they do it for the soul. The, the, I think they call it like mojo in that book or whatever. But, uh, I, and that's kind of what I heard from you is you lost the, you lost the human element and that wasn't, it wasn't enough. Uh, the money, everything else wasn't enough without that human element, but you made some great points about uh, it. You learned so much uh, on how a business runs systems, processes, procedures, protocols. Uh, the numbers are so important, but they, they can't run everything. No. And I'll tell you, I used to, you know, on the corporate level, when I would see that back page, that last page of the P&L, the profit and loss statement, and I would see how much we're paying to the corporate office for the lawyers and, and all this stuff. And I'd, I, I just I would I would just sit there and go, you know, what what do you guys do down there? I mean, I, I, I remember just getting so angry. And then when I got into this mom and pop thing, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I wish I had a corporate office that I could just send this stuff to and they would handle it. Uh so I had a great appreciation. I, at, at that point, I had a great appreciation 
Uh, and that was an area that I, you know, that whole back page, you know, where do I get a lawyer and who, who's my accountant and, you know, where am I going to, you know, who's, who's the HR now? I mean, all that stuff. Mm. Um, so it, it was, it was a big shocker when I went from corporate to, to mom and pop that last page on that P and L of, of all the things the corporate office took care of. I had a great appreciation for it. almost felt inclined to give them all a call and apologize for all the, you know, the bad thoughts that I had. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. So let's, let's bring it to the vision. So you made the decision. I'm going to break out and do my own thing. I've been, I've been opening these Carabas, these Outbacks for a big chunk of my life. I'm good at this. Um, I'm, what was your vision? What did you want to create going back to, was it 2014? Well, you know, it was funny. It actually started in 2006 for me. I, okay. I, you know, even before the, the recession hit, uh, a buddy of mine and I developed the concept very similar to this, and we spent a year and a half developing it. It was between him and I. My wife wasn't involved in it. You know, she was, she was, she thought the project was cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we, 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 we built the bones. We really did. We, we put it together. A guy named Mike Benefield and I put it together, and, and we were about to launch it, and then the recession hit in 2008. And when I say it, it dried up. It dried up overnight. Um, can I, I stop remember you? one. Can I stop you right there? Because you said something I, sure. I can't just skim over. You built the bones. What did that look like? Take me through what that what that means. What you that know, looks like. Southern, it was a southern concept, but it wasn't this concept. It was you know it was it was heavy on you know we wanted hospitality to be a big part of it. All the things that made Outback and Carabas really you know really uh, successful in the early early days. You know you know, he and I used to always joke that we were bringing the, you know, we were bringing it all back. We were going to, we were going back to the original, you know, early eighties, I mean, late eighties, early nineties. And we were going to, you know, we were going to bring all that, you know, that family feeling and all that back. So those, those were the bones that he and I, he and I put together and, um, you know, and we had had, we had put this great business plan together and, you know, got with the university of Georgia, small business department, and uh, they told us it was probably one of the best they'd seen. And it wasn't a matter of who was going to give us the money, who we were going to allow to give us the money. And up until the recession hit, it was, it was all panning out that way. And, and literally, we had three groups of investors. We had two sites lined up, and we were about to launch this thing. And I mean, it, you know, the stock market dropped at seven or 800 points that one day. And then three days later, and I mean, three days later, everybody bailed on us. Oh, and then over the, over the next year, I personally went to 52 different investors and bankers and got turned down for every single one of them. Oh, so, so we shelved, so we shelved it. And Mike went off and joined, uh, joined a, a great company, Cisco. And he, and he's doing a, having a great career there. And, and we were about to launch this. I called him up and said, Hey man, you know, I'm about to do this. You want to be a part of it? And he said, you know, I've moved on and you know, he gave me his blessing and, and here we are. Mm. So, I mean, what advice going back, uh, it says you, you mentioned that some people said this best, best, the best business plan they've ever seen. Uh, you had this, this, you went through the process of visioning. What advice do you have, uh, through, or if I guess for going through that, you said you called it building the bones, I guess. What advice do you have for somebody well, look, that's at that I stage? Would, you know, for, first of all, I would, I would certainly, if you are going to, if you are going to put a business plan together, then I would highly recommend that you get with your local college or find a college that has a business department that has somebody that specializes in doing, you know, and I got lucky because in the same building, not only was there somebody, you know, with the university of Georgia that was, 
you know, great uh, guy named Mark Lupo doing, you know, helping me with, uh, you know, putting the actual business plan together. They actually had a former banker in there. So he knew all the, the ins and outs of what the bank was looking for and, and, and all this other stuff. And um, so that would be one recommendation that I would do. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, definitely test your menu. Um, make sure that the menu that you're going to present to the bank is not something you just grabbed off the internet. You never tested it. And, you know, just make sure that everything that you're presenting, you've at least made and, and, and you, you, you and whoever else you're working with have got, and you've tested it with your friends. And so when you and, say, you know, test your menu, you're talking about actually like going through, Oh yeah. And- go to the, go to the grocery store, buy the stuff and make it. And then, you know, have a, a dinner party with a yeah. bunch of your friends and, and, and roll this menu out to your friends and, and get, you know, honest feedback on it, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the perfect example. So, you know, the, the original menu that Mike and I made, uh, I remember when my, when I, we landed this deal, I remember turning to my wife and I said, Oh my God, Heather, the hardest part of this is, is, is over. And she goes, yeah, what's that? I said, the menu, you know, Mike and I already did the menu. And my wife said these words to me. She goes, what the menu you and Mike came up with? And I said, yeah. She goes, oh yeah, we're not using that menu. <laughs> and I said, and I said, why not? She goes, oh, to be honest with you, honey, it really wasn't that good. Oh. And I and I remember getting a little worked up and saying, well, honey, you were, uh, you know, you were there and you tasted it and you said it was good. And she goes, yeah, I just didn't really want to hurt your feelings. Oh man. Okay. So <laughs> I can only t- I can honestly tell you that off the original menu there was one sauce that came off of it. That's in our current menu. Just oh, one. Wow. So, so, you know, this, uh, you know, at the time, even though my wife wasn't being honest with me, she wasn't going to let me open with that menu regardless, even if we had <laughs> been able to get the, 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 so just make sure that everybody that's, that you have in your circle is honest with you. <laughs> that's great advice. And, uh, it was, uh, not until 2014 that you opened. So what, so when did you, you put it on the shelf. I'm assuming 2007, 2008. That time, because you, you, you had all of your your uh, your your people back out. When did you, you know, take a second go at this? Well, you know, it was funny. I was I was taking a job, but one of my original mentors called me up and said, "Hey, I'm opening a restaurant in Jacksonville, Florida. He already had one open. He wanted to, he wanted to expand. And he was somebody that I trusted and and really you know loved working with." And, uh, I took my wife down to, uh, take a look at it. And, you know, in, in classic form, my wife said, she goes, you know, my wife's got some great instincts. She said, Mike, I really just don't think this is the right thing for you right now. And I said, you know what? I want out of Carabas. I want to do this. I'm going to prove to you that I'm right. And I made the decision to take the job. And I remember saying, my wife saying, well, I'm not moving to Jacksonville with you. And I said, well, I've got family down there. I'm going to move down there and spend a year down there working on this. And, and when it, when the time's right, I'm going to send for you and the family. And, uh, she was beside herself and I was committed to doing this. And the day before I put my notice in with Carabas, uh, I was telling a regular of mine that, you know, the next time he came in, I wasn't going to be there. And he said he was sorry to hear me go. And about 20 minutes later, he called me back over the table and said, look, do you mind if I get some investors together and give me a few, you know, give me a few days to, but we really don't want to lose you out of Columbus. And I'd heard that many times before. And I was very polite and said, sure, no problem with no intention of doing it. And before I had a chance to make the phone call in the morning, that gentleman called me up and said, Hey, can you meet me downtown? I want to introduce you to somebody. And he introduced me to my current business partner. And, um, 
that business partner was a, a regular of mine, as a matter of fact, at Carabas. And I, I said to him, I said, I wasn't, I wasn't un, under the impression you were interested in opening a restaurant. He said, I, he said that he wasn't. And I said, okay, well, what are we doing here? And he said, well, I really want to see our downtown grow and downtown needs talent and son, your talent. So if I need to invest in a restaurant to see downtown grow, then I'll invest in a restaurant. And, uh, this man made me the deal of a lifetime. He's, he's a close family friend now. And, and, uh, I, I we would have never been able to do it without him. And he's been nothing but the, the best. When I say silent partner, and I mean silent to this day, three years later, the man still will not let me give him a code or a key to the building. Oh, wow. Man, what was, yeah. what's the big lesson from that right there? Well, I will tell you this. Don't sell out. Just because you don't have the money, you better put some worth to your skill and your sweat equity. Mm. So don't, don't undersell your wealth. When he asked me what I wanted and I told him and a reason why I thought I deserved it, even though I only had, you know, 20 or 25,000 put into this deal, he agreed to it. Mm. He said, you know what? You're right. You, you know, you are, you are going to work it and you are going to put all the sweat equity in it and you are, you know, and your, and your knowledge is, uh, is, is worth this, you know, is worth the money. You know, I tell this story to people about that all the time, about a guy, you know, this big factory had a big machine and it broke down. And so everybody said, you need to call this guy. He can fix it. He can fix it. So the guy, the guy calls him up and the guy walks in with a small bag and he's got a ball peen hammer in his bag. And he, he takes it out and starts tapping all over the machine. And then finally, you know, he hears a specific sound and he hits the machine as hard as he can. And the machine comes to life and the guy goes, Oh my God, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Just send me the bill. And I'll, you know, thank you very much. So the guy sends a bill and the bill's for $5,000 and the factory owner gets really upset and says, Oh my God, you know, $5,000. So, you know, to be kind of a smart, smart Alec, he sends a message back, say, Hey, can you, can you break that invoice down for me? And the guy goes, sure. So he sends a, sends the invoice, you know, ball peen hammer, $10, you know, <laughs> Four, nine, nine thousand, you know, four thousand nine, you know, nine hundred and ninety dollars. Where, you know, knowing where to hit the, you know, the machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, never underestimate, you know, your your the value of your knowledge. Mm, it's so 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 important. Such great advice there, and it reminds me of a quote: uh, "Don't become or you know what is it? Uh, become a person of value." I think is the, the Albert Einstein quote. Uh, and if you become valuable, you, you, you become valuable by getting this knowledge, by surrounding yourself by people, by working in the industry, getting working in the industry, getting the experience, awesome stuff. And I, I feel like there's something else going on here though. I, I think that, um, I think this guy probably saw, you know, he, he definitely saw the talent in you, your ability to do the job, but what else was it about your relationship that made him want to invest in you? There, what was, what was going on? Take us through the, through the dynamics of this relationship that made him. Well, I mean, once again, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. He was, you know, he was a regular of mine at Carabas. He came in once a week and I, I interacted with him every week. So when he, you know, when the, the other gentleman put us together, both of us didn't know who we were, we were meeting. So when I met him and he met me, we were both kind of a little surprised because he didn't know that I wanted to leave Carabas. And I didn't know that he was looking to invest in doing something downtown. And so at that point, you know, um, you know, my, the relationship that he and I, we had already had a, a really good relationship. So, 
you know, my one advice is if you're in your restaurant, you know, you never know who you're dealing with. Yes. So always, always, it doesn't matter. You have to be right a hundred percent of the time. So you've got to, you know, you've got to be right a hundred percent of the time. So always treat everybody in your building with respect. Cause one, I would have never known this guy, you know, he was driving a Toyota Tacoma with, you know, no powered windows to this day, he still drives that. <laughs> and if you knew the money this guy had, you would, you would never know it with this guy. And especially with the way he treats people. And he's not your typical, you know, what you would think be like a wall street or something to that matter. You would never know this guy had, uh, had the, uh, the, the, the wealth that he had behind him because he just didn't, he never flaunted it, anything like that. Yeah, the, I could have easily said, Hey, good to see you. And, you know, never, never spend any time getting to know him or anything like that. Yeah. You were on, uh, you know, you're kind of, it's like a, you're, you're in this industry, you're always on a job interview or whatever. Like you're, you're always, people are always having an opinion of you and know that, and you never know where the money's going to come. So always, just, I don't know how to say it, Just give, give the best of yourself every day. Cause you, you, you never, well, there were two, there, there were two things early in my career that, that, um, mentors of mine told me one, one, I remember him telling me specifically, always share your best move, mm. always share your best move. And, you know, you run the risk of someone taking credit for it. And that's true. And it happens. But they always get they always get outed out. If somebody is stealing somebody else's idea, when the day comes that they've got to come up with an original thought, then they're exposed immediately. It's always it always comes. The house of cards always comes crashing down around them. So never be afraid to share your best move. And the other thing I'll never forget, I, I had a another one of my mentors, a guy named Ed Ennis. He, he told me, I mean, uh, Will Bernardi, he told me. Hey, your restaurant is your town and you're the mayor. And every day is election day. Every single day, the next day, they're voting for you to stay in office. So you had better kiss those babies and shake those hands and do what you need to do to make sure that they vote you in day in and day out. Awesome. Man, you're giving us some great advice, Michael. And I can't believe we're already 52 minutes into this conversation. Uh, time goes by so fast. Uh, I want to know before we move on to the speed round and wrap things up, uh, let's talk about kind of like current time or like the past three or four years now that you've been in business. Uh, what things, if you can narrow it down to three or four things that you're doing in-house that you can share with our listeners that they can do in their businesses that will make them better? Well, let me tell you this. There's one thing I don't suffer from, and this is, and this is the, one of the biggest mistakes I see with a lot of restaurant entrepreneurs. I do not suffer from pride. If somebody can give me a better idea, I'm willing to accept it and move on. Uh, my business partner introduced me to a chef named Chris Hastings out of Birmingham, and he is shaving 10 years off uh, of the learning curve of me uh, you know, transitioning from a corporate restaurant to a mom-and-pop restaurant. He has, over the last year, helped me uh, absolutely uh, fine-tune my, my business. He's taken my break-even from some astronomical number and shaved it by thirty or $40,000 just in, in the way I purchase and the way we organize and the way we, you know, we prep. And I mean, it's just a whole different ballgame. And so I would say, you know, one thing is never, never, never suffer from pride. If, if somebody, if a customer is giving you some feedback, you know, you don't want to gut wrench and change everything. Anytime you get a bad, bad review or anything like that, but you certainly want to, you certainly want to look at it and say, okay, 
you know, is any aspect of this true? And if it is, accept it and then change it and do and, and just don't suffer from pride. What's the biggest um, lesson he taught you before we you give us the next nugget? Um, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, when I visited his restaurants in Birmingham, the one thing I noticed that he didn't have a bunch of storage anywhere. Like all his liquor for his rest, all his liquor for his bar was up at the bar. And he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like in the corporate restaurant where you came in and, and, you know, you had, you know, this big room in the back and you, you know, you, you know, in the corporate world, it's don't, you never, you never break a case. You never break a, a case of alcohol because they charge you more for it. And one of the things Chris told me was, you know, you, you set your price at your broken case price and you only buy what you need. And after that lesson, you know, spending four days with him that first time I came back and it just so happened as I was walking in the door, there was a liquor order coming in. And so I got with my, my bar manager and I said, explain to me exactly why you ordered $1,200 of liquor, beer and wine from this company. And he kind of was taken aback and he said, okay. And he, he walked through it. He walked through exactly why he ordered it. And I said, he goes, did I do something wrong? He goes, nope. I said, nope. You did exact. You did exactly how I trained you. You did it exactly how I trained you. Now we're going to do it the way this guy just trained me. So I asked the liquor distributor, the guy that was dropping it off. I said, can you come back and we'll recut, you know, we'll cut you a check. Can you make one more drop and come back? And so the guy said, sure. So we took a $1,200 uh, invoice and we went line by line, item by item and said, okay, we looked at P mixes and then we said, all right, all right, we actually don't need that much. And when it was all over and said and done, we accepted one bottle of wine, which was $28. And we didn't run out of anything that week. Not one thing. And I've taken that liquor room that at one time had $30,000 plus worth of, uh, you know, 30 at one time it had, I had a total of 50, on my close to $50,000 worth of inventory in my building. In my average in-house inventory now, uh, on a, on a, on a, on an end of the month is, is under eight or $9,000. Wow. And so the lesson was you need every single dollar available yep. to pay payroll. Mm-hmm. and pay and pay food because the minute you miss those two one they put you on cod and two your employees start leaving you exactly cash is king in this industry and you, you, you cash isn't going to do anything for you if it's sitting on shelves <laughs> like you need that cash too. so i so my my advice is you know when i was driving out when my business partner intro, wanted to introduce me to chris hastings i remember you know having this fleeting thought through my head as we were on the way out to birmingham saying you know really what is this guy gonna you know i've been doing this 30 years you know, really? Come on. Mm. And then I got out there and of course, I mean, it was just the minute I, minute I got there and I realized that this guy had way more knowledge than I, than I had ever gotten, you know, over the years I've been doing it. Then I, I humbled myself and, you know, swallowed my pride and, 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 and did everything this guy asked me. And we are, we're doing better than we've ever done. And, and, and less stress. I don't get, I don't get physically ill anymore when we go to pay payroll let me put it to you that way i used to literally physically get ill the day before payroll because i was scared to death we weren't going to be able to make payroll you know in the early days that is a great lesson uh thank you so much for pulling back the layers in that and i feel like i might have cut you off where you were gonna share another lesson you talked about staying humble and uh listening to other people uh what, what what was the other lesson that you were about to say before i made you pull back those layers well, I mean, you know, that's, that's funny. I, I, I may have forgotten it, but <laughs> you'd asked me, you'd asked me two or three things. So, you know, one was, you know, just 
being being pride not being prideful too. Make sure you test everything out. Yep. And uh, and if you are going to work with your spouse, I mean, which I don't, I could not imagine not doing it without her. Um, but I will tell you, uh, you, you had better, you had better, better make sure that you you set time aside for yourselves, regardless of what's going on. Mm. Awesome stuff. I think this is a good spot to stop, take a break, thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Well, if you haven't, it states that for many events, roughly 80% of effects come from 20% of the causes. How does this apply to the restaurant industry? Roughly 80% of your total revenue comes from 20% of your customers. That 20%, well, those are your loyal customers. Five Stars helps you get more loyal customers and helps you strengthen the bond between existing loyal customers. This method is so effective that Five Stars users have reported up to 200% increase in revenue. Set up a demo today and learn about their two newest features. Word of mouth, which allows your guests to share the rewards they earn at your restaurant with their friends. And network matching, where basically, if you get 100 customers to sign up, 5 Stars will send you 100 new customers that have never been to your restaurant. To learn more, head over to get.5stars.com slash unstoppable. Or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you see a demo, 5 Stars will send you a $25 gift gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. Get on it. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K.com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor habits, traits, characteristics you believe most contributes to your success? Um, for me, honestly, it's, uh, once again, not having any pride and just having a, a, you know, a work ethic that, you know, was instilled in me in the early days. Um, and, uh, not having a, you know, failure is not an option attitude. Awesome. What is your biggest weakness? Wow. My biggest weakness. Um, golly, you know, Maybe, you know, to, to my detriment, I, I probably make snap judgments a little bit too quickly sometimes. And that's where the balance of my wife comes in. There's, there's times when she, you know, her, her, she's famous for the word no. And when, when she says no, I always have to, you know, I always have to stop and say, okay, why is she saying no when I think this is such a great idea? So I would say uh, my biggest weakness is uh, I, I sometimes don't think things through uh, completely. I, I may go with my gut a little too much sometimes. 
And have you improved on that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, once I, it's, it's gotten better because of my wife, mm. because of the fact that she, you know, we made an agreement and we don't move forward unless both of us are in agreement. So when she's not in agreement, I, I don't have a choice. I can't move forward. So it takes. I have to take time to reflect as to why she's saying no. And and I hate to say this, but most of the time she's right. <laughs> Good thing she's not here. We won't have to tell her you said that. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> so what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, you know, you know, just basic stuff. You know, I've moved past the old days of the old tattoo thing and the hair. And, you know, I, I, I understand that today's world, you know, it, it still matters to me how someone presents himself in, a, in, a, in an interview. And sometimes it, it it's not a deal killer, but I, I think it's a little silly not to show up with a pen. <laughs> Um, you know, but, you know, one thing I learned, uh, through the interview process is if you let them talk long enough, they're either going to talk themselves into a job or talk themselves out of the job. So just get them talking. That's the one thing that I get them doing. I just, you know, you find out whether it's really about the money or it's about the job or it's about what. So just get them talking. Awesome. What is your current challenge today? Your biggest challenge today? You know, growing sales. I mean, we're in a we're in a we're in kind of in a little bit of a downturn in our downtown area. We've had a lot of restaurants open up, so it's just like anything. And it's like I remember when you know I was with Carabas when something new would open, we would dip, and then you just had to you had to fight through it. So that's that's our biggest challenge is is it's just continuing to grow sales. I mean, we're executing and turning out better food and everything that we ever have, and we're running meaner and leaner than we ever have. So you know, the good times will come again, but. It's just going to take a little bit of work. So what are you doing differently to increase those sales? Um, you know what? We, we did make the menu a little smaller. Uh, we did bring back some of the old, uh, you know, we were trying to be able to be a little bit too out of the box, I think. And so we brought some of the old, you know, the, the tried true things that the, the locals, you know, we don't have any issues with business people out of towners and military. Uh, you know, we, we kind of, focus a little too much on them for a while and kind of forgot our, our, our base. Um, and you know, our town is just one of those towns where they, you know, they don't care whether or not, you know, they, they, it matters to them that they have a ribeye on the menu. Now, you know, as a, a forward thinking, my, my thing would be, let's try all these new cuts and all these news. And we did. And people from out of town loved it, but all your local folks would go, Hey man, where's your ribeye? Yeah. So, um, why is decreasing? Well, yeah, first of all, absolutely. Uh, focus on your regulars. It's Pareto's principle. Uh, 80% of your money is going to come from 20% of your customers, your, your loyal regular customers focus on those guys. They will keep you in business. But why was, uh, the, you mentioned decreasing your menu. How did that help with growing sales? Well, it actually, because we are able to turn out better quality product. You know, I came from corporate background having, you know, Jesus, hundred menu items, you know, if not more. And when we first opened this thing up, we were, you know, we were close to 30 and we found that our, our, our real, our real comfort of execution level is between 18 and 22 items on. So that's, that's one thing that I would highly recommend. And one of the mistakes we made, we first opened up is I opened with that big menu. So if I had to do it all over again, I would have opened up with three appetizers, four entrees, two desserts and a couple salads. And then, you know, sold it as, Hey, you know, 
the next time you come in here, the menu is going to be new and exciting and it's going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to change, but never shoot yourself because you know, you only have one chance to make that for, I know everybody says that, but it's, it is really true in our town. You know, they, if they, if you screw it up in the beginning, they'll come back, but it'll be a couple of years, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Awesome advice. So, uh, the next question is share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. That's like not standard. Um, you know, consistency with me. I don't, I don't tell, I don't, I don't make a, a change. And then one day, then, the, you know, two days later, we're not adhering to it. Once, once you commit to, um, you know, one thing that everybody in this building knows is that once we are, we're committed to, 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 to doing something, then they're not going to, it's not a week later, they're not going to be able to come in and not have to worry about it because, you know, Mike Carroll's not checking on it anymore. So my, my biggest, you know, my biggest thing is being consistent in the way you operate uh, with your employees, because there is comfort in knowing from an employee, knowing when they walk in the door that the restaurant's always going to be set up, your, your kitchen's always going to be able to execute. And when there is an issue, your, your owner or your manager is going to absolutely do everything he needs to do. To, to, to fix the issue. So there's a great level of comfort from your employees when they know that any problem they have, it's not going to be just kind of be like, God, man, why are you bothering me? It's okay. What do we need to do to fix it? So can I say consistently committing to change and sticking with it? Oh, absolutely. If you change anything, make sure you, you you're committed to it. Awesome. And the only time you change it is when it's been been proven that it's not going to work. So how what do you do to make sure people stay committed to it? Is it just constant gentle pressure like Danny Myers says or do you Oh yeah, you got to go back to the original, you know, you know the old old thing of, you know, it takes it takes 20 21 consecutive times to change a habit. Yep. And it's true. It takes 21 consecutive times to create a habit. So if you you make any change whether it's in the way you the way you operate or the way you're designing a dish, uh, it, it is absolutely never changing from that and never giving. And I, and I know this flies in the face of, of a lot of things, you know, how do you, you know, you might be stifling somebody's creativity when you say to them, this is the way the dish is supposed to be. And it's never to be changed. Um, you know, you've got to have some respect for the chef that put all the effort and work into designing that. And it's not up to you to go and change it. So you, you adhere to it and make sure that it, it, it goes out the way it's supposed to go out. So what's the biggest thing that you think you guys do that to make sure change happens and you stick with it? Is there one thing, one piece of advice, uh, maybe a, a habit or a trick that you can share that helps increase the odds of change happening? Yeah. So before we do anything uh, as far as change, whether it's a new menu or it's a new procedure or anything like that. One, my wife and I have got to be in agreement on it. That's number one. Number two, we go to key, key employees, people that we trust who are always straight shooters with us. We've got that core group of individuals that are going to be honest with us and tell us whether or not they agree with it. And that means like when we roll a new dish out, uh, before we roll a dish out, the chef just doesn't, you know, my wife doesn't just make it and assume that everybody's going to love it. She, she goes through the battery of having as many people, taste it and, and, uh, and make, making suggestions. And, 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 and then if, if those make sense to her, then she changes it. So one, if one is being agreement with whoever you are, whether it's your management team or your partner, and two, making sure that you get it 
you know, you, you put it through the ringer before you roll it out. When you roll it out, you're talking about like actually committing it to like the operations. Manual. Actually committing it yeah. to an operation or, or a dish that actually goes out on the menu. Got it. Awesome. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service? So this is kind of a little confusing, but an example is uh, when I stage for row 34, they taught me that when you approach a table uh, and you're holding something in your hand that doesn't belong to that table, you hold it behind your back. So what's one thing yes. that you teach your staff that's uncommon knowledge that will make us a little bit better on the terms of service? Well, you know, we're a little, we're a little bit fortunate here. We, we do, um, we do have tablecloths and then we cover them with a with kind of a butcher block table thing. And one of the things that we, we do encourage our staff is, and I've got two or three of these uh, folks that, you know, when we do a reservation, it's a birthday, they will actually go and draw on the butcher block, you know, some really encouraging notes or, or, uh, you know, at first, first time I saw it, being done, I, I kind of frowned on it. And then when I saw the reaction of the customer, I said, you know what, we're going to implement that. And so my wife and I agreed on it. And uh, so we now, when we have a reservation or somebody's coming in and we know ahead of time, we go out of our way to kind of, you know, really personalize that table for, for those, for those individuals. That's one thing that we do here that I don't see being done anywhere in our town. So it's a personalized experience. Uh, can I, is no, that absolutely. Okay. Making, making it, making it absolutely as personal as we can. I have one server that, you know, they don't even call the restaurant to make the reservation. They call the server and make the reservation. It's, it's, it's almost comical. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, share one online resource or tool that you love. Um, I love Instagram and you know, I, I love putting stuff out there when my wife does a new dish and, and something like that, we get a lot of, you know, we get a lot of hits on that. So that's a lot of fun for us. What's, is, uh, what's one practice, like one Instagram thing that you guys do with Instagram that might not be common knowledge that you can share with us? You know, I don't think we do anything out of the ordinary, to be honest with you. Okay. It's just we, we don't we use it sparingly because, you know, we, we don't want to bombard it every day with silly stuff. And uh, it, it's always about the food. It's always about the food. And, you know, one of the things she and I have been discussing is actually highlighting uh, certain servers um, and, uh you know, and, and maybe maybe using Instagram to, to try to expand, you know, some of the uh, some of the, you know, the core group that we have here that have been, you know, that, have, that are so well, you know, that take care of everybody. It doesn't regardless of who they are. They always treat everybody exactly the same. So I don't know if I, we do anything really unique when it comes to that. It's just a, it's a it's a it's a venue that I really enjoy when we do put something out, getting the reaction that we do. Yeah. I think people put too much focus on what are we going to do with Instagram and not enough focus on how are we going to be awesome? And then how can we just use Instagram to be a window to show how awesome we are or what we're doing? You know, people it's just, just focus on doing incredible work and, and really just being as great as you can be. And then the opportunities for capturing that just increase, like just make create opportunities to capture yourself and your team being great. Um, I, I will, I will tell you this one, one lesson I did learn, uh, coming from the corporate world to the, the private world was when I was in a corporate world, I couldn't have given, I couldn't have given two squats, whether somebody gave me a bad review online or not. You know, we just, we had a team of people that handle all that, you know, sent out coupons or whatever. I never had to worry about it. Every once in a while I might have to make a phone call because it happened in my stores or something like that. Or, but when I got in the, I got in the mom and pop world, man, social media, you can live and die by it. So I'm, I'm telling you, you, 
you better you better monitor it. You better you, don't don't be obsessed with it. I, I I know owners that are obsessed and they change their whole menu based off of one review. And you know I don't want to. That's not what I'm saying. But you would better monitor all of it. And any good or bad, we go over go over it all in our huddle ups every day. You know we meet every day with the staff uh, before our shifts, uh, kitchen and front of the house, and we go over anything whether it's good or bad that's come across social media. Awesome. What's one book that's a must read that will make us a better person or restaurant owner? You know, I would read Chris Hastings book, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd read the hot and hot fish camp. The one thing that you'll get from it is not only, you know, the, the knowledge uh, of it's, it's the relationships that he developed with his local vendors. I mean, from the time that we started working with him till now, uh, our local vendor list has grown exponentially. You know, him's getting him, taking us by the hand and personally meeting the farmers. And, you know, you know, one of the things was, you know, in the old world was, you know, what do you, what, what's coming out? What are you growing? Or the farmer would say, you know, what do you want us to grow? And then we, we'd say, well, we want this. And then they would grow it. And, you know, they only had two or three weeks worth. And, you know, as a corporate restaurant, you're like, well, this isn't going to work. Well, that was what Chris, one of the biggest things we got away from was Chris was, you know, if they only got three days worth of something, take it, change your menu, be, be flexible, change your menu, run it, run that product for three wonderful days and then bring your old menu back and, and, and just be really flexible with the menu. And, uh, don't tell the farmers what to grow. They know their soil better than you mm-hmm. work your menu around their stuff. If I was going to recommend anything, I would, I would study up on Chris Hastings. Honest to God, I would absolutely, uh, look him up and, 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 and follow him day in and day out yeah that is uh that book again is hot and hot fish club cookbook a celebration of food family and traditions i found it right there on amazon i will link to that in the show notes this is episode 397 head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 397 to find those links and uh what is one technology we're almost at the finish line by the way you're doing great what is one technology that you're leveraging in your restaurant like uh a Maybe that's not standard, something that you're a POS or uh, a loyalty program or something that you're leveraging in terms of technology. You know, it's funny you say that. I, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of old school and that's where, you know, it, it might be a little bit to my detriment. You know, I, I'm using an Aloha system because that was what I was familiar with. And, and the great thing about Aloha for me has been that they, you know, they've, they've really come along with the time. So uh, one of the things we, we recently are about to implement is a, you know, a, uh, a data capturing system at the, at the front hostess stand. Um, and they've got a great program that'll, I think will help us expand that, that part of it. So I really, unfortunately, I'm still a little, I still do things a little more by, you know, paper and pencil. So I don't have some great, you know, wonder knowledge of advice to you, but I would say, you know, don't do what I'm doing. Embrace the technology <laughs> and use it to the fullest extent because it'll make your life a lot easier. And you, you're, you said the the data branch or the data. I think you're talking about Upserve. Is that does that ring a bell? Well, it's 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 their version of uh, you know of, of of like no wait or something like that. You know, okay, um, where you know it, it, it helps with the reservation system. You know, and I, that's new to me. That was something Chris talked us into here. You know, I've never taken you know guaranteed reservations and and the way he showed us to do it. Uh, to me made absolutely perfect sense. And it's, and it, it actually increased my sales because, you know, there are some people that just don't want to wait. 
and like to like to know that there's tables waiting for him. And by the way he taught us to do it, uh, we don't, you know, tables don't don't sit open for hours and hours and hours uh, waiting for a reservation. We, you know, we've got it down to a science where every every table is being maximized to its full capacity. Yeah, there are some great services out there. Past sponsor, No Wait is uh, an awesome tool. I think you mentioned it quickly, uh, but I'll link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, this is the last question. If you could go, actually, uh, changed the question recently. So if you could got news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants were gone, lost uh, with your departure, except for three pieces of wisdom or things you know to be true about your success. And I think we kind of mentioned some stuff earlier what would those three things be that you could leave behind for the next generation of restaurant operators well you know for me one of the things that i've seen unfortunately is the 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 work ethic has so that that's something i take a lot of pride in instilling in, in not only my family but also my employees is the commitment to the, you know the work ethic is don't do it just for the paycheck make sure that what you're doing you love um you know that would certainly be one of them um, gosh, another, another piece of knowledge is what I, I would absolutely say is, you know, never be prideful, uh, be open to, uh, to being wrong and embrace it. Um, and the last thing I would say is, uh, you know, put family first. I mean, I, I know that's not, I don't know if that's some great words of advice, but, uh, put family above everything, you know, God and family above everything. And then it all, the rest of it, the rest of it will fall in place. Don't do it for a paycheck. Do it for the love. Don't be over prideful. Put, pa- put family first. Awesome stuff. Is there anything we didn't get to discuss today? Something you're hoping that would come up. Uh, now's your time to bring it up. Oh, no, no. I, this is, uh, this has probably been one of the funnest things I've done in a while. I can't, <laughs> awesome. I can't thank, I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you, know, you were, funny, you know, what's I, that? I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, you know, this, this building has a lot of history and, and people always, you know, I, I, I tell the history of it and people always say, why don't you put, why don't you write that down? Why, why don't you write that down so people can read it? And I say, you know what? I'll write it down when I get tired of telling it. <laughs> and I would never get tired of telling it. Awesome. So it's a passion. So uh, that's what I, I would stick to. I love it, man. You've been a great guest. You and your wife. I'm sorry she couldn't stick with us the whole way through, but she was awesome while she could be here. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who was one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? You know, Chris Hastings, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I hate to say it. I know that's just... I'm telling you, I've never met anyone like him. Uh, I have never met, you know, look, you know, his, his knowledge hasn't been free, but you know, now that I'm a friend, I know that he would have given it to me anyways, but I'm going to tell you something, the, 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 the depth of his knowledge and, um, the, the method in which he teaches it is the best I've ever seen. Um, so he would certainly be somebody that I would, uh, I would certainly reach out to and follow and, and uh, read up on and, and learn about. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my guy, man. That's, that's my, that's my buddy. Chris, I, I Hastings, look out, man. I'm coming after you. And Michael, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and say thank you to your wife for me, for taking the time to, to join us, to share your knowledge, to share your stories, uh, to, to give us 
insight on just what it means to to be humble. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways I had from you, to be humble, to listen to others, uh, and to follow your heart, to follow your passion. Uh, there is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. I appreciate that. <laughs> Cheers. Awesome episode today. <laughs> Michael and Heather, thank you so much for joining me. Heather, we didn't get much time with you. Uh, I want you to know that if you ever want to come back and do a one-on-one, uh, you're always welcome. Uh, where do we start? I, I love the the conversation around uh, not losing your soul, not losing whatever human element you have in your restaurant. And as important as numbers are, I'm not going to sit here and say the numbers are important. They're crucially important but the human element always trumps the numbers don't don't sacrifice amazing people for the sake of the numbers uh this is a people industry people first numbers second and i think this is a beautiful example of what happens when you pay too close attention to the numbers you lose good people and this this is what happened like in this situation uh heather and mike they left because they just they they lost whatever it was originally that brought them into this restaurant group uh the crab's restaurant group and now they're doing their own thing and they're crushing it uh great advice on also you know getting that experience though going to a bigger restaurant group uh to learn you might not necessarily have to go to a franchise or a chain there's a lot of bigger restaurant groups out there independently owned doing a lot of things right and they will teach you too Uh, but yeah, great advice there. And I love this, the idea of always being on your game. You never know who is going to be your future investor. Treat every relationship like they can make the difference in your life. Uh, and just, you know, they could, you don't know who your future investor is going to be. You don't know who, uh, might know somebody who could help you like treat everybody like they have the solution they have the answer to your success uh treat them like a vip everyone you touch is a vip uh and i think mike gets that he had some great advice on just how to see the world and that's what this podcast is all about what this what we're trying to do with this podcast is to help you see the world through the eyes of those who are successful so you can see the world the way they they see the world and maybe start living the way they live the values they have the 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 work ethic they have the just the, it's a lens through which to see the world that's what this is and i hope you guys found value in today's conversation like always guys please do connect with me please do connect with me eric at restaurant unstoppable.com uh, instagram and twitter eric catchatory facebook slash restaurant unstoppable tell me who you want to hear from who do you admire who do you think can make a great guest mentor on the show put them on my radar i'll get them on we'll learn from them together or just tell me what your biggest challenges are tell me what you want to learn more about i'll find an expert we'll get them on the show we'll learn together Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They really do help validate my hard work. I am accepting donations. Uh, you know, this podcast is free. I want to keep it that way. The sponsors help. Uh, the the support, the donations also do help. So if you are finding value, if you want to say thank you, I do accept some, any size donation. Every little bit helps. And uh, the best way to support the show uh, is to share the show with somebody who is aspiring to be great in the industry. Who do you know who's trying to get out there and do their own thing? Uh, this is a melting pot of mentors. There's incredible advice on how to be successful. Almost 400 total episodes. Please share this podcast. That's the ultimate compliment. And I think I think that's all for today. 
Uh, thank you guys all so much for sticking around this long. Uh, I couldn't do it without you. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.